0: I didn't announce a moment ago that Mr. Jackson served for 32 years as an elder over in Memphis, and we're mighty happy to have him here. Uh, Let me uh, call your attention to our scripture reading. It's the entire ninth chapter of the Gospel of John. We have been going through what I call close encounters, not with E.T., but with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we have seen those whom he has met. Last Sunday we saw a woman who was brought into his presence, uh, taken in the very act of adultery. And uh, when uh, she went away, uh, she could say that no man had condemned her and called Jesus Lord. And we saw something of the grace that comes to him and tried to learn a lesson from that to drop our rock and go home because there is no sinless one amongst us. And now we come to another encounter. John's whole record of the gospel is built around uh, these magnificent encounters with Jesus. And uh, from these encounters, faith is built. The key verse in the gospel of John, which I hope you will mark in your Bible and use it to refer back to a passage such as we're reading today, is John chapter 20, verse 30 many other signs now signs and miracles uh, are the are the same word uh uh here uh, john uses the word sign as a sign of the messiah the eternal son of god many other signs therefore jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book but now this is the purpose of his book and this is one reason we're reading it this morning But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. All other things which the church does are secondary to this purpose. The purpose is that we are to show people how to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that believing they might have life in his name. I'll never forget Ben Hayden saying one time that for 30 years in the church, people told him that Jesus loved him. And he quit the church because he said, nobody ever bothered to tell me that I had to love Jesus. And you do in order to be saved. And now, then, back to John chapter 9, and then the first uh, uh, 11, uh, 12 verses, and then I'll pick it up in exposition later. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, He spat on the ground, and he made clay of the spittle, and he applied the clay to the eyes of the blind man. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated Sent." And so he went and he washed, and he came back seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. And still others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. Therefore they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? He answered, The man who is called Jesus made clay, and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And so I went away and washed and received sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. I've always thought that Siloam is a great name for a Presbyterian church where you can come and get your eyes washed and go away believing in Jesus. I hope God does that this morning here. I lost my little lavalier microphone. Last Sunday I was baptizing that wonderful but boisterous baby of (laughs) Steve's, and he got a little loud. I didn't know when I finished whether I baptized Steve or Fran or the baby. But uh, uh, I dropped my microphone, and so I'm having to use this one today, and I hope you'll be able to hear it, um, it because this lesson is one, of, one that is a great favorite. Uh, it's a lesson that we ought to go back to again and again. We sung that marvelous prayer hymn a while ago, Open my eyes that I may see. Open my eyes that I may see suffering. Do we really see it, and what do we, how do we respond to it when we do see it? And as he passed by, Jesus passed by, having just gone through the bitterest controversy, and if you take the trouble to read the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John, you will see the harshest words that Jesus Christ ever spoke, because he is dealing with some uh, people who are terrible, But they are religious leaders, and he tells them that they are of their father, the devil. And they despise Jesus, and they hate him, and they want to stone him to death. And he passed away from that crowd, and he left them, and uh, he saw a blind man. And just as Jesus had made himself vulnerable when he healed the woman taken in adultery, He is willing to become involved in seeing a person whose sightless eyes have never seen. He saw this blind man, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sin this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus man, his disciples saw a problem, and that's an important thing to remember. They saw a problem, and it's a very real problem, the problem of pain, the problem of suffering that exists in the world. It's one that every single one of us will face at one time or another, either personally or through someone else. And so this question is asked. Why was this man born blind? Have you ever gone to speak as I have gone to speak in some place of great suffering? I can remember a hospital in Vietnam where I saw men with uh, their legs and their arms amputated. I can le- remember a leper colony in Thailand. I can remember a for spastic children with cerebral palsy Uh, I can remember rooms where cancer had caused someone to suffer day in and day out and week in and week out for so long a period of time that they scarce knew how to speak and so all of us come into this business of suffering and how will, we dea- how will we deal with it? And it is a mystery. It is a mystery. And we cannot understand it all this side of heaven. Now, these disciples of Jesus thought that perhaps this man had sinned in some pre existent state, or perhaps while he was inside his mother's womb. And so they said to him, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And that can cause it. Sin can cause suffering like that. Some drunk got on Interstate 40 the other day, right out by the airport, and drove down the wrong lane and hit a car head-on and killed two people. That's suffering now. What caused it? The Bible clearly labels drunkenness as a sin. Not enough sermons are preached about it now. But they ought to be, and it certainly caused a great amount of suffering. Jesus answered, it was neither this man who sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. Somehow God's glory will be working, good even out of ill. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. Samuel Johnson had those words carved on the inside of his watch. Night is coming when no man can work. And then Jesus said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But one day... He was taken out of the world, and so he has left us. We are to be the light of the world like the reflectors that you see on the post when you drive up some mountain road. The only light that we can get is the light that comes from Jesus, who is the light of the world, and that's what he had claimed in that previous chapter. And now he will demonstrate that he is the light of the world by bringing light to a man that cannot see, who was born blind. And when that light of Jesus touches us, then we reflect that light back and others can see it. As a little boy out in the country in Texas, I used to be mystified by the reflectors that were put in the side of the highway. I couldn't understand why they didn't shine all the time. I thought there was some sort of little lamp in back of them that made them shine. And then I noticed they only shined when a car came, and its headlights hit against the reflector, and then the light came back. Well that's the way Christians are. We only shine as Jesus shines on us, and when he shines on us, then we shine. And so he comes to this man and he does a strange thing. He spat on the ground, and he made clay out of the spittle. Jesus doesn't do his miracles in some stereotyped fashion. He made clay out of the spittle, and he took the clay and put the clay on the man's eyes. I don't know why we don't have some denomination called the mud-in-the-eye Presbyterian Church or something because uh, I'm sure that there are people who split up about stuff like this, Uh, he applied the clay to his eyes, And then he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Go wash in the pool of Siloam, and that has significance. And uh, uh, so this man could have argued. He could have argued and said, I've been blind all my life. I've never been able to see. I hear a man around me that's got 10 or 12 people with him. Someone's put a penny in my bowl, and yet he's put this stuff on my eyes. I don't know what he put on my eyes. And he told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam, that's a long ways off. I may stumble over something, why, why did not he just heal me right here? Don't argue with Jesus. Obey him. Obey him. And this is what the man does. He obeyed Jesus. He obeyed him, and so he went away and washed. Now I'm sure that while he was walking on his way, maybe he had a little boy named Judah or something, Benjamin or Reuben, some good Jewish name who uh, would be his helper who would bring him to his place where he would set him down to beg and he said judah will you will you lead me to the pool of salome and he said of course i'll take you there give me your hand maybe they walked right by the university of jerusalem and some students were out in front and they said hey what you got on your eyes what's the dirt on your face He said a man named Jesus made some mud out of spit and he put it on my eyes and he told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam and I believe I'll come away seeing and they said you didn't believe that did you? Why there's nothing in spit that will make you see again and to put mud on your eyes oh it's unsanitary anyway they, they would have had some argument to bring up. And they said, you're not going to let him make a fool out of you, are you? The man said, i got nothing to lose. I never have seen. I'm going to do what he told me. I'm going to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And so he goes to the pool of Siloam, And he reached down, and he took the water, and he washed the mud away from his face. And when the water washed that mud out of his eyes, he looked and he saw the blue of the sky. I don't know whether it was Carolina blue or what, but it was a blue sky. Very blue. He said, that's the sky. He saw grass. That must be grass. He saw. He said, "You must be little Judah." He saw the little boy who had brought him there. You must be Reuben. You, you're. You've also helped me. And then they took him back, and he looked at everything, and it was just simply delicious. He just took it all in. Oh, how we take for granted the blessings that God gives to us, if you have sight. What a blessing you've got when you walk down the steps and you look out at Lake Susan and you look at the trees or the sky, or you look in the face of someone you love. God's already given you a great blessing. A great blessing. This man could see. He came away seeing And what a difference it made. But now he can see. And right away, you see one thing about him that you you can put down. He lived beyond his doubt. He wasn't afraid to believe what Jesus said. And what faith can believe, God can perform. And that's what happened. And then next you see him as his faith is challenged and what he believes he holds to with an unshakable conviction. The neighbors, therefore, and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? And others were saying, this is he, and others were saying, no, it's just someone who looks like him. And he kept saying, I am the one. Therefore they were saying to him, then how were your eyes opened? Now look at the pilgrim's progress. He answered the man. The man, that's all he knew about Jesus. He couldn't say the Apostles' Creed. He hadn't memorized the Catechism. All he could say was the man. But he acted on what he could believe and God gave him more light. He answered and said, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. And I went away and I washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I don't know. This is an incredibly marvelous man. He holds to the conviction of what he knows that God had revealed to him. You know what his neighbors do? They bring him to the elders of the church. They brought him to the Pharisees. You know why? It was a Sabbath day. Day when Jesus made the clay. Now that always posed a big problem. The Jews didn't even know whether to eat an egg that was laid on the Sabbath. And they argued about things like this. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. But now remember this. Sabbath was made for man, not for the calendar. Sabbath was made for man, not for the calendar. And it is right to do good on the Sabbath day. These same people wouldn't have hesitated to pull a sheep that fell in a ditch, out of the ditch on the Sabbath day. But now they are looking to pick a fight with Jesus. And this is one of the things that baffles me when I was studying this this time. Why should it be thought that the key to the Messiah's coming Amongst these Pharisees who were good religious people and fasted and gave their tithes uh, to help out the poor, why should their key uh, thing be the keeping of the Sabbath? Now, I believe that it is a good thing to keep the the Lord's day holy, uh, but here they take it to an extreme that makes it bitter. Now, it was the Sabbath on that day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes, and again, therefore... The Pharisees also were asking him how he received his sight, and he said to them, He applied clay to my eyes, I washed and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying to him, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can he who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. There's always been a division among the church. There was a division among them. And they said, therefore, to the blind man again, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? Now, what's the progress of faith? And he said, He is a prophet. He's graduated from saying that Jesus was a man to now he says he is a prophet. It had been a long time, centuries since the voice of the prophet had been heard, and here this man says he is a prophet. Now this angers the Jewish authorities. The Jews therefore did not believe it of him That he had ever been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. And they questioned his parents and they said, Is this your son? Did you say he was born blind? How is it that he can now see? And his parents answered, We know that this is our son. We know that he was born blind. They're minimal answers because they're afraid of the hostility that these people have toward Jesus. But how he can see, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. And now watch this. They let him grow up real quick. Sometimes it's hard for parents to let children go and to let them grow up. But they let him grow up right now. They say, ask him, he is of age. he'll speak for himself. They didn't want to get in trouble with the religious leaders. Sometimes young people come home from a, a campus crusade rally, and they got the four spiritual laws, and they got converted. And they tell the people, oh, we don't get converted that way, we're Presbyterian. Oh, my. Ooh, that must make the Lord really groan ask him he is of age he shall speak for himself his parents said this because they were afraid of the jews for the jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess him to be christ he should be put out of the synagogue and for this reason they said he is of age ask him but now you see this man is still holding to his unshakable conviction. And so a second time they go to the man who had been born blind and then they say to him, Give the glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He therefore answered, Whether he is a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, that whereas I was blind, now I can see. They said therefore to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered and said, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And then, <laughs> naively, he says, You don't want to believe in him, do you? And become his disciple? Whew! That threw them in a rage. Then, <laughs> it in this, This translation is horrible. They reviled him. They did more than that. Uh, (laughs) uh, They said, you are his disciple. But we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he came from. The man answered and said to him, (laughs) this fellow is really spunky. He says, Well, here's an amazing thing. You're supposed to know everything. That you do not know where he came from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And then they were really angry again. And they answered and said to him, You were born entirely in sin, and you are teaching us. And they put him out of the synagogue. They kicked him out of the church. Let me tell you this. I'd rather be out of the church with Jesus than in the church without Jesus. And, and also, be thankful for the person the Lord may use to touch your life, and God may use someone that doesn't meet with your friend's approval. Forgive me for some repetition at this point. Some of you have heard this, and I apologize. Uh, how many of you have heard me tell the story of how I met Oral Roberts? Hold your hand up if you're. My wife's waving her. (laughs) Uh, A lot of people don't like for me to tell this. Uh, You you know. uh, You know how I met him. It's very interesting. I used to be pastor over in Waynesville, North Carolina. That was my first church when I was graduated from seminary. That's where I've ordained. This is the only presbytery I've ever been in. The only one will probably ever let me get in it. But uh, I was over in Waynesville. And I was preaching and praying and doing everything I could to win everyone I could to the Lord. And, and, and our session was helping. We were working away. And I'll never forget, uh, I didn't wear a robe back in those days. I thought only Catholics wore robes and uh, uh so uh i i always was very particular about how my suit was pressed and there was a man who ran a, a a cleaning and pressing establishment and i hope he's listening today because he's one of the greatest christians i've ever known john a shelby we named our second son frank shelby after him and uh, johnny was listening on the radio Uh, And uh, uh, sometimes he listened to the radio, and and you know what? I went by there to see Johnny. He was not a Christian. He didn't belong to any church. His wife didn't belong to any church. But, boy, he was really a good presser, and he didn't go to church at that time. And it was a, uh, I went in one time, and you know how you look through your uh, clothes to see if you're leaving him money or stuff? And I was going through there, and I looked at Johnny, and he looked kind of like he had a hangover or something. And I said, you look miserable, in my tactful way. And, and he said, uh, I am miserable. And I said, well, here, read this. It'll do you good. And I slapped the little book of the Psalms out, out on the desk, a little uh, Bible Society book of the Psalms. And I opened it to Psalm 34. And I said, take this three times a day. It'll do you good. And Johnny looked at it and just as much as told me to get out of the store. And I I left the store. And uh, weeks went by. And one day Johnny showed up and knocked at my study door. And he came in and he said, do you have another one of these? And he he held this little uh, booklet of the Psalms up. And the brads had worn out of the back of it. And it was all underlined and marked. And in the meantime, he had started coming to church every single Sunday, a morning for Sunday school, uh, uh, for the 11 o'clock service, and again at night. Boy, they really converted when they come in. And uh, uh, he was coming at night, but he had never made a profession of faith. And he asked me, he said, you got another one of these? And I said, I'm going to give you a whole Bible. And so I gave him a Bible. And he got Doctor Gutsky's tapes, and he began to listen to those, and he began to grow in the faith, and he joined our church, and he became a deacon, and then he became an elder, and then one day, one day I was uh, I was supposed to go visiting, but I didn't feel up to visiting, and it was raining, and I was miserable, and I I drove by his shop, and I stopped, and I went in, and uh, I uh, I had seen his life transformed when I first met him; he had almost a Oh, some kind of obsession for uh, sort of nude, pin-up type pictures. And I left a note one day and said, Your thing could stand some improvement around you. And he took all that stuff down. And uh, so he'd grown in the faith. And that's the way you see a person. You need to keep on growing. This blind man grew in his faith in the Lord. And so I... um, I, I was feeling bad, so I wanted a little boost of ego, and I said, Johnny, tell me how you got converted, and I relaxed to hear him tell about how one day I'd come in to get my suit cleaned, and how I had given him the psalm, and how he had read it, and got converted, and came before our session, and started tithing, and, and really had become active, and while I got ready to listen, he said, well... I was watching Oral Roberts on television and I thought oh my soul what is he doing watching Oral Roberts <laughs> and then I thought I wonder how much money he's sending Oral Roberts and then <laughs> then uh, uh, that's the way people think and uh, you, you. then we got into that well then I went to Berlin to Billy Graham's Congress on Evangelism I wasn't about to to tell him, you better get away from that guy or don't listen to him anymore because I knew what a scum he had been before and I'd seen his life change and I wasn't going to argue with a changed life and that's the whole point of this story. You can't argue with a changed life. And so I went to Berlin to the Congress on Evangelism and down the elevator came, uh, the the elevator and the doors opened and this man with a black overcoat and hat got off and I, I thought, I know that guy. Who is he? And then I thought, he sure looks for me. And it was Oral Roberts. And uh, I thought, I wonder if I ought to go over and speak to Oral Roberts. And then I made myself very pious. And I thought, well, I'll pray about it. I said, Lord, should I go speak to Oral Roberts? And it just seemed like the Lord said, why do you ask a dumb question (laughs) like that? (laughs) You, you, You can speak to anybody. And, and so I went over and I said, Mr. Roberts, my name is Calvin Thielman. I'm a Presbyterian pastor in, in Montreat, North Carolina. And uh, I wanted to tell you about a man that was converted and who joined our church and is an elder now. And uh, it, it, your ministry uh, was used by God to transform his life. And uh, he said he was very glad to meet me And, and uh, I asked him if he'd drink a cup of coffee with me. He told me he didn't drink coffee, but he'd drink a glass of milk with me. <laughs> so we went in his, uh, the coffee shop there, and I asked every rude question I could think of. I said, you know, on your TV program, all you show is the people that get healed. You don't show the ones that don't get healed. He said, well, that's the only ones the Bible tells you about. I thought, man, he got me. (laughs) And then I thought, uh, I thought I'd get him on this. I said, Well, I don't speak in tongues. Do you think I have the Holy Spirit in me? And he said, uh, uh, He said, Do you think the Holy Spirit is in you? And I said, I know. The Holy Spirit is in me because I couldn't say Jesus is my Lord and mean it. He wouldn't be Lord of my life if the Holy Spirit was not in me. And he said a very gracious thing. He said, I accept your testimony. And I thought, now this is something. He accepts my testimony, but I don't accept his. And then I said, well, the Bible says to heal the sick and raise the dead. Did you ever raise any dead people? And um, he was a little fuzzy on the answer. I, <laughs> I, I got the impression that he tried it and it didn't work. And uh, so I didn't know uh, uh, what to say next. But you know how when you humiliated someone or tried to, you, you overcompensate for it by being nice to them, telling them, they got, uh, you know, you really like them and all that, to make up for being mean. Well, I'd been mean, and I tried to make up for it. Well, uh, I'd asked him uh, a lot of tough questions, and he had answered them, and he told me about a healing experience that had come to his life with tuberculosis. Now his brother had taken him on a pallet to a little uh, tent meeting, and he had been healed, and that he was telling the results of his testimony. And uh, so I told him that I liked him, and that I'd like for him to meet some other people that were there at the conference. And so I began to invite people to eat uh, with us or go to the coffee coffee shop. And it got so big, I told Oral, you're going to have to pay for it because I can't can't pay the bill. And uh, so uh, he was meeting all these people. And Leighton Ford came to me and Leighton said, listen, you better get away man." He said, you're in enough trouble in the Presbyterian church without getting into this. (laughs) And I said, now Leighton, would Jesus do that? And Leighton said, that doesn't have anything to do with it. (laughs) And I said, it does. (laughs) It does. Now Leighton since then has been out there and has spoken and it's all been uh, changed. But you see, uh, my my point is this. Johnny had been converted through this man's ministry. And I saw Oral, by the way, when I was out there the other day. And we talked about a lot of... things that his life has been through and he, I saw him pray for some people in a hospital and I, that really moved me uh, very much to see how tender he could be in his prayer uh, for those who were sick and uh, I don't believe like he does but I don't have to um, uh, he loves Jesus I believe that and I know I love Jesus And I think that's the common ground that comes uh, there. Uh, He wanted, this blind man wanted to know more, and he uh, he wasn't going to deny the one who had led him into faith. Now they kicked him out of the synagogue, and Jesus does a wonderful thing. I wish I had time to go through the other parts of what I wanted to say, but I don't have time. Uh, Jesus did a wonderful thing. He heard they had put him out of the synagogue. He'd been excommunicated, kicked out, divested, defrocked, and he's out. And Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said to him, Jesus found him. Now, listen, listen, you listen very carefully. Do you know anyone else in the record of the four gospels that Jesus went after and found? I can't think of another person that he went out looking for and found. Now, you may know someone, and if you do tell me about them, I want to know who they are. But this blind man that was kicked out of the church, Jesus went out and found him. And Jesus asked him another question. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, Son of Man is a title from the book of Daniel that really means the Messiah. And listen to the answer of the man. He said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And then Jesus tells him plainly, You have both seen him. He had seen the face of Jesus, and he is the one who is talking with you. He had seen the face of Jesus, and he had heard the voice of Jesus. And all his soul was satisfied. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he knelt and worshipped Jesus. Now this is, this is the conclusion of it. For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Sometimes we think we see, and we may be blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him and heard these things said to him, We are not blind, too, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, and so your sin remains. This is remarkable. because of the progress that you see in this phase. I have a Presbyterian minister friend whose little girl went to school for the first day. And uh, he wondered how it went and he called her on the telephone. And uh, she'd been scared and nervous that morning when she went to school. And uh, he said, well, how'd it go? And she said to her daddy, her first day in the first grade, she said, well, I learned to read today. (laughs) And uh, he laughed. And when he got home, he said, "Uh, read to me. So she read him the first little tiny page in the reader. Well, now, at first, you could say, oh, well, she hadn't, learned to read she couldn't read all the other books but she, she had started and that's what this blind man did he started with the man he went to the prophet and then he got persecuted for it and kicked out and Jesus found him and then he went all the way with his discipleship now it all boils down to this question what about you And what about your relationship to Jesus? And what about your charity toward other people who may lead other people to Christ? Do you show them the love of Jesus too? If any of you have an opportunity to get it and read it, get Dorothy Sayers' little book, The Man Born to be King, and read the section that deals with the conversion of this man. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the remarkable man that we have read about in this ninth chapter of John, who lived beyond his doubt and who held to an unshakable conviction that was revealed to him and who had the earnest desire to grow more. Help each one of us to want to grow more in Jesus. Help any person here who has never yet let him be Lord to see that they can start right where they are and believe as much as they can believe and know that more light will be given. And we thank you that this opens to us a wider circle of friends. And help us to work together that many may come to know Jesus and be saved. We thank you for our Savior who is the light of the world, and we pray for friends who are blind physically that they may be blessed by a sense of your love and keeping. And we pray for people who are blind spiritually. That the film may go away, and that their hearts may be warmed, and that they might be brought to you. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with you all now.